Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and the Cache Valley Visitors Bureau gift shop, including the book 117 Amazing Things to Do in Logan and Cache Valley and other local gifts. Logan shirts, hats, and socks, games, books, and other collectibles. Located at 199 North Main in Logan. More information at explorelogan.com. Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Well, it's UPR's Fall Member Drive. That means we'll be hearing some best of Access Utah segments. And we'll be joined by a co-pitcher and a great guest. And uh, today it's Lynn McNeil, who's co-director of the Digital Folklore Project at USU and assistant professor of English. Uh, we're going to be presenting uh, parts of several recent USU or, or uh, Access Utah interviews. We'll hear from Orker at JBS Meatpacking Plant in Cache Valley. We'll hear from Marion Bishop, an ER doctor and writer, and from Vonda Jump Norman, USU prof- assistant professor of social work at uh, Utah State University. Lynn McNeil, welcome back to the program. Thank you so much, Tom. I'm so glad to be here, even though I can't actually be in the studio with you guys. Yeah, uh, these are exigencies from uh, from COVID. I, I miss seeing you in the studio as well. Great to hear your voice. I don't know if we've talked during the pandemic, have we? I don't know if we've had you on. I don't think we have. Yeah. I don't think so, but I've been excited to listen to the pledge drive. I know that sounds weird, but it makes me feel like there's this little piece of normalcy happening that... You know, the, the energy of Utah Public Radio is continuing on, even if we're all hunkered down and hiding out for a while. That's a great way to look at it. A little piece of normalcy happening. <laughs> That's wonderful. Uh, so exactly. Le- let me let me get this out right now. Uh, Leslie and Jay Black, uh, longtime supporters of Utah Public Radio, are putting up a $500 dollar-for-dollar match uh, this morning. So 9 a.m. to noon is when this is running. Um, and so that means Access Utah, TED Radio Hour, and Reveal. Uh, so your uh, pledge this morning will count for two, up to $500, thanks to this from Leslie and Jay Black. And Leslie, by the way, says she loves UPR because she's a lifelong learner. Some of her favorite programs are Morning Edition, All Things Considered, Behind the Headlines, TED Radio Hour, Living on Earth, Selected Shorts, On Being, This American Life, Access Utah, and her very favorite program is probably Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. So have your pledge doubled uh, this morning, uh, a couple places you can go. You can uh, you can call 800-826-1495, or you can go online to upr.org, upr.org. So that's exciting. That's uh, Excitement is part of that uh, normalcy, right, of, of the member drive, Lynn McNeil. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think that's the thing is the energy is so high, and I feel like there's always people volunteering and people showing up to take calls and do all of this stuff, and it makes me feel good that that can still happen, even if we have to do it in sort of this new, socially distanced, safe way. Uh, so uh, before we jump into the first segment here, I'm wondering how you're doing. How, how's your family doing during the pandemic? How have you been dealing with things? Well, you know, hanging in there as we all are. Um, you know, I've made one trip out to California to visit my mom, and that was an adventure of I drove instead of flying and you know, got all masked up and had my hand sanitizer in the car with me. And it was interesting to see, you know, as a folklorist, even different expectations of mask wearing and how people interact and all of those sorts of things. So that was kind of an adventure. But now mainly what I'm focused on is teaching classes with my very, very, very patient students who are willing to put up with me 
you know, kind of figuring out how to do Zoom on the fly. <laughs> <laughs> that resonates. I'm teaching a connections class, the, you know, the, the in semester. Oh, so you know. A- and uh, boy, I had to call tech support one day while my students looked on, <laughs> <laughs> which is, which is not a, yep. that's not a great thing. It's not a great thing for anybody. Uh, but the, the tech person was very helpful, though. Um, uh, so you mentioned uh, with the folklorist eyes, I was going to ask you about that. What, uh, w- what are you seeing, uh, the, the pandemic through a folklorist eyes? You know, as with so many other things, our folklore is is really just like a like a barometer or a finger on the pulse of what's going on right now. And there are so many sort of amazing joke cycles and rumor cycles and even crafting cycles. I mean, we went through sort of these early stages of how are we all going to get masks and what's the best way to make masks? And I feel like now, you know, we have Lots of corporations sort of doubling down on producing masks and clothing stores are now offering masks. But in those early days of COVID, everyone's sharing mask patterns and ideas for how to make the best one or how to wear something you already own and use it as a mask was just such an awesome old school style of folklore. I mean, suddenly everyone's making their own articles, if, if, if not whole outfits, at least small articles of clothing again. And it's watching people come together to figure out how to cope with this, I think has been really, really cool. And the the folklore that has grown out of this, I mean, I think most of us are probably familiar with, you know, the 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 rumors, the the legends, even even some of the jokes. You know, have you heard the latest joke about COVID, Tom? I haven't. Uh, you probably won't get it. <laughs> Oh, okay, good. thank you. Thank you for laughing. I know. It's terrible. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, terrible but, and elfali, yeah. Yes, thank you. I, I appreciate that. Um, but, but I think that we also see an even more interesting expression of how we cope with this. I'm on a group um, on social media with a lot of other folklorists, one of whom shared a game they saw some school children playing, young kids, like maybe five or six in kindergarten, um, called Super Nurse, and the kids had uh, squirt bottles, and they had spread all their toys around the playroom and were squirting their toys with the bottle and saying that they were sanitizing the virus to save everybody. And just the fact that they called it Super Nurse, that they recognized the heroic role that frontline healthcare workers are playing in our society, and it's being expressed through just a game that kids are playing together, I thought that was incredible. Yeah, that that is incredible. Boy, what kids pick up. It it is incredible. Oh, absolutely. I mean, looking it, children's fo- folklore alone is often sort of dismissed as trivial. Children's folklore 10 times over more likely to be dismissed as trivial, and yet when we really look, kids' folklore reflects so many serious big themes that crop up in adult life that it's sort of like, wow, it's this distillation of what it is that we're all dealing with at any given point in history. Mm. Uh, so, Lynn, um, uh, we, we, we've had a couple of, uh, of calls already. Thank you. Thanks to a donor in River Heights. A big thanks to you, and thanks to uh, Larry Saffron in, in Logan. So, appreciate that. They've kicked us off, awesome. and, their, and their money's doubled. And it's a reminder that uh, this morning, uh, all the way to noon, uh, up to $500, your pledge is doubled, thanks to Leslie and Jay Black, who's generously offered to match dollar for dollar all pledges this morning. 
so your your pledge will count for two. So thanks, Leslie and J. Black, and thanks to uh, those who've called in so far. We want to keep that momentum going. Uh, so Lynn McNeil, we'll, we'll talk about this, you know, the, the folklore and these things as we go through the hour. Um, you mentioned that, you know, the frontline workers and the super nurse. Uh, so I'm going to I'm going to change things up. I was going to play another segment first. Let's play this first. Uh, here's a segment. This is about just seven or eight minutes uh, with uh, Marion Bishop. Uh, we talked to some frontline workers. That was an episode in May. And we talked to a grocery store worker a transit uh, district, Cache Valley Transit District bus uh, driver. And we talked with ER doctor Marion Bishop. Uh, Marion Bishop works, I believe, in Cache Valley and also in Brigham City. Uh, she has worked over in uh, in Bear Lake areas as well. And um, she's a writer as well. You can find her stuff on, on her website, marionbishop.com, I think it is. Um, so here's just a, a bit of my conversation with, uh, with Marion Bishop. So, Marion Bishop, uh, you you wrote a, a very touching blog post titled "Moral Compass," circa circa nineteen forty one. Talk about your grandfather. Why don't you talk a little bit about that? Connecting to, you know, times of stress in our nation and uh, and uh, people. You know, you're reflecting on your grandfather going going off to war. Well, well, so you know, like a lot of people, I I have kind of deep family roots and connections that I'm really proud of, and as kind of, you know, I watched what was happening in China in late January and early February and understood that it would probably come to the U.S. I found myself thinking about my paternal grandfather a lot. He was a, he was, he joined the National Guard in the Great Depression and uh, just to, partly to make a living. And by the time World War II came along, um, he'd accrued enough hours that he wouldn't have been required to serve, but he was also, had a leadership role in his local unit and he, and he said to me, he said, I just couldn't see collecting that pay for all those years and then not showing up when it was time to do my job. And that example was just so, like, moving and stabilizing to me as I kind of anticipated going to work in the ER. Um, you know, I knew that there would be, like, uh, maybe this is a moment to say that the hospital systems I work for have just kind of Herculean efforts to keep me and my coworkers safe and to keep the patients safe who come there. But it's not without worry and it's not without risk. And I, I really was able to lean on that memory of my granddad. It, like it was never, it never occurred to me that I wouldn't go to work. I'm really proud of my training and happy to do my job, but it made me feel a lot less alone, you know, thinking about other people at different moments in time who've made difficult decisions to serve. Mm. And you know, it's not. I mean, it's not a irrational worry, right? Because we we have been losing doctors <laughs> and and nurses, right? To to cope. Yeah, yeah. It, it's not. You know, as the pandemic has gone on, we've gotten smarter about how to protect ourselves. And you know, once again, I have to thank my hospital system for that. Like, I you know, I have adequate PPE. I have training in how to wear it. I know how to protect myself and my family. But it's not a hundred percent. You know, you can you can. Give, give a soldier a weapon and, you know, arm them well, but they're, they're, they're still sent into harm's way. And, you know, so it was, especially in those early days of the pandemic, you know, for, for a long time, we wondered if in, in, you know, the Intermountain West, we would see a surge, you know, our own version of what has happened in big urban centers on the East Coast. And, you know, that was really something to contemplate. Um, I, updated, you know, made sure my will was in order and, um, you know, gave copies of 
you know, precious documents to friends to hold in case I, you know, got sick and couldn't protect my family. And, and, and I wasn't the only, you know, the, the only person on the front line that had to think about that and consider how to handle that, those issues. Did you, I'm not sure how old your kids are. Did you have a conversation with, you know, you'd have to be appropriate <laughs> or uh, yeah. do you have a conversation with them or, or do you, or you just I make did. preparations and okay, you had a conversation. What, how'd that go? What, what, what did that, uh, that look was, like? That was one of my hardest moments as a mother. Um, I, uh, I have an 11 year old daughter and, um, she, she, her dad and I are divorced, uh, but she lives with me. And he's been a great collaborator, collaborator throughout this process. I'm grateful for that. But then I also have a, a five-year-old son um, that I adopted as a single parent, a wonderful opportunity that came along as a surprise a few years ago. And so I sat them down and kind of explained what my role was going to be and tried to give them a lot of reassurance about my training and how I'd been prepared to keep us safe and how I was proud to use my training but I also let them know the plan for if, you know, if I, I let them know a plan for if I got sick, who the caregivers would be. And I let them know a plan for, you know, if, if I got sick enough and died, who the caregivers would be and who would take care of them and who they could ask questions to. And, mm. and then we went the rounds of, you know, their questions about that over the course of several weeks. Um, and, uh, you know, well, mom, what if this happened or what if that happened? And, um, and it, it was a, it was a hard experience, but, you know, part of what I want to say is that this is a moment that has put so many families into, like, it's, it's not just me, but it's, it's required a deepening of our thinking about what it means to be a parent and what it means to be part of a community and what it means to support each other and how to care for our children at this crazy time. Mm. You know, I, I feel solidarity with all the other parents of small children who are trying to make a living and, um, and want to come home for their kids and keep them safe. Do you think that could be a silver lining coming out of this? Do you think that'll be lasting or can be? I, I, absolutely. You know, I, um, you know, I, I mean, for, this is a kind of a silly thing, but I, you know, I have a neighbor who's a good friend. I guess it's not a silly thing. It was an important thing. Like I wrote down all the passwords to, you know, bank accounts and my, you know, my, how to get on my phone and where my will was in the house. And I sealed it in an envelope you know, with a letter to my kids and took it to a neighbor who has it. And, like, the kind of trust that I was able to place in her and that she felt from me, you know, like, tightened up, you know, already a wonderful friendship and, um, you know, made me feel a lot less alone in the world, and it made my children feel that way. You know, and she, she's going to get to keep that envelope, you know, until I die when I'm, you know, 103, I hope, right? Like. <laughs> I hope, hope, yes. in, <laughs> I hope it's not necessary until then, but, but I'm, you know, if, if all of us are having those kinds of conversations with people that we trust about how to take care of people we love, like, I think that will persist. Mm. You, you, have, you have a phrase in this blog post, by the way, MarionCBishop.com. Um, you, you talk about the late night company you've been keeping with your grandfather. That I guess that's one yeah. way to find strength. You know, reaching back to our progenitors and uh, the, knowing that they went through some very hard things. Yes, I, I like. There's, there's another post I'll write at some point called "Why We Need Old People Right Now," <laughs> because you know, like these these generations who. You know, uh, I mean, the, the people who lived through the, the Great Influenza, like in 1916 through 1920, they, they're mostly gone, but, but 
some of their children aren't. And then those people who lived through the Great Depression and through World War II and, uh, you know, through the Korean conflict and through Vietnam, and I, I don't mean to keep invoking war, but, but these people who have, have, like, truly known what it means to suffer on an individual basis and, and how the pain of that, you know, kind of affects a family and an individual, but also what it means to go through that collectively as a community like, like we need their wisdom right now, <laughs> you know? Uh, you know, what does it mean to do hard things, not just for an afternoon, but day after day after day? And what does it mean to do them when we don't really have an end in sight? Like, how do we draw strength when there aren't easy answers? You know, who, who do we turn to? You know, when, when, when I can't have good news that will give me peace of mind, you know, how can community and relationship and connection to other human beings, even if it's over the phone or over the Internet, kind of build a web of support to help get us through this? Mm. Well, that, that's, that's what I learned from looking at my granddad or looking at other grandparents who served in the South Pacific or, you know, um, you know we all have these stories of, uh, you know, of, of, you know, family members or, or people in history who, whose experience speaks to us, and we can lean on their example at this time. You're listening to Access Utah's Best Of, because it's uh, during the member drive here, the fall member drive, and thank you so much for the uh, pledges that have been coming in. Uh, we're talking with Lynn McNeil, uh, USU folklorist and assistant professor of English at uh, USU, uh, she's our, our guest uh, through the hour, and we're hearing some uh, segments some, from some recent programs. Uh, that was a conversation, part of a conversation uh, with Marion Bishop, uh, who's an ER doctor. Uh, she works at Cache Valley Hospital and Brigham City Community Hospital. In that episode, we also talked with a uh, bus driver and a grocery store worker, uh, pandemic frontline workers. Uh, you can find Marion Bishop's writing, very interesting writing, at mariancbishop.com. So, Lynn McNeil, first of all, thank you for your uh, your pledge. <laughs> That's one of the benefits of not being in the studio, is that while I'm at home, I can sneakily get on my laptop and go to upr.org and make a donation through the website and, you know... Think I'm being clever. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's very clever and it's very appreciated. Thank you so much. And and your your money's your money's doubled this morning, along with everybody's, up to five hundred dollars. Yes, that's why I wanted to do this right now. I figured now's the time to take advantage of Jay and Leslie's generosity and be able to make my money go farther. So I hope I hope everyone does this morning. Leslie J. Black have offered to match uh, dollar for dollar all pledges made uh, during the p- programs this morning uh, up to, uh, until noon, up until $500. So thank you to them and uh, thank you to everyone who has uh, pledged this morning, including uh, Lynn McNeil. Uh, before we go to break, Lynn, I was uh, wanted to ask you, Marion uh, talked about connections. We're all, you know, we're all hungry yeah. for connections kind of the way we had it before, and we're trying to find new ways to connect. And in her mind, it's connecting to her grandfather, the generation before. Um, uh, I wonder what your thoughts on, on this are. You, you mentioned at the beginning of the program, um, you know, we're kind of stumbling through connecting with students, for example, you know, new ways. But mm-hmm. uh, your thoughts on connections. Mm-hmm. This, is, this is really a bizarre situation we find ourselves in, because right when we need other people the most, just as Marion was describing, relying on neighbors, relying on friends and family, who's going to watch over the people that I'm responsible for if something happens to me. 
And yet at that same moment that we need each other so badly, we're being told stay as far away from each other as you can. And that combination, I think, is unbelievably stressful psychologically, physically uh, to everybody. But I think we also luckily are living in a time where we have ways to do that that we didn't have before, which is a real blessing in, in my view of it. This is the first pandemic that I've lived through, but I'm not sure how I would teach my classes without the technology available to me, without Zoom, without our Canvas classroom. And that sense of being able to still be present with my students or with my family members even who live far away, I have reconnected with friends who live far from me so much more than I was ever driven to pre-pandemic. And that's silly. Why did it take this global disaster to make us all reach out and start planning these ways to connect with people? I'm really, really hopeful. I am an eternal optimist, and I'm really hopeful that this is something that persists beyond this pandemic, that we can continue to privilege this connection that we have with each other with the tools available to us. I'm teaching my digital folklore class this semester. We often spend time talking about sort of the, the naysayers and the, the people who think that technology is driving a wedge between people. And I think that paradoxically this pandemic is showing us how we can best use technology to, to still support each other. Well, that's very hopeful. That's uh, the silver linings. And you do see silver linings. That's, uh, that is a good thing that we can carry forward, mm-hmm. we hope, right? Um, well, let's take a break. Uh, I, I neglected, uh, ne- been neglecting to give out the contact points, and that's the whole purpose of this exercise. So let me do that right now. Um, <laughs> you can uh, take care of your membership, whether it's a new membership or renewing membership to Utah Public Radio, uh, by going to one of these two places. You can call us at 800 826 1495. 800 826 1495. Or you can uh, pledge online to upr.org, upr.org. And as always, uh, during the the member drive, I I need to make clear that if you're listening at 7 o'clock in the evening, um, don't call. Um, But but do definitely go online to upr.org, upr.org. Of course, in the morning, uh, you can definitely call 800-826-1495, upr.org. And Leslie and Jay Black are doubling uh, your money up to $500 uh, through the morning up until noon. So hope you take uh, care of that as well. Uh, a break, and then we'll have more. Support for Utah Public Radio programming comes from our members and Utah State University Extension. Supporting local producers by buying food strengthens the economy, creates jobs, and increases food security. Visit utahsown.org. Most gardeners wish they could mow the lawn for the last time around the 1st of October, blow out the sprinklers, and call it good for the year. A better plan for fall includes lowering the lawnmower blade every time you mow, about every 10 to 14 days, until the last mowing is at about 1.5 inches sometime in mid to late November. A quick-release fertilizer applied right after that last mowing will be taken up by your grass and give it the strength to recover over winter for an impressive-looking lawn next spring. Plan on winterizing the sprinklers the end of October, about the same time you want to trim down the perennial flowers and mulch the roses. There are so many things to do to get ready for winter, but a little time invested now will pay major dividends next spring. 
Support for The Garden Spot comes from Logan Extermination, serving Cache Valley for over 45 years, offering year-round pest control, lawn, tree, and shrub maintenance. Information at loganextermination.net. Thanks for listening to Access U Time. Tom Williams, and we're hearing uh, some of uh, some segments from some of our favorite episodes. Uh, it's the member drive here at Utah Public Radio, and uh, we're looking for your support. We're hoping for your support, and very much appreciating it uh, as it comes in. Uh, of course, uh, we'd love to see support for Access Utah. It's uh, Utah's uh, main flagship uh, public affairs uh, call-in program, so Monday through Thursdays. On Fridays, of course, it's behind the headlines. Uh, so we try to bring you uh, the very latest uh, current events, uh, current affairs, and to bring uh, everybody together uh, in our UPR community. But we also uh, try to bring you some fascinating uh, stuff, some fun stuff as well. And uh, and uh, part of all of that has been Lynn McNeil, a frequent guest on this program. And she's with us today. She's uh, co-director of uh, USU's Digital Folklore Project and, and assistant professor of English at Utah State uh, University. Uh, so, Lynn, I was going to ask you, you were talking about connections uh, that, that we want to make and finding new ways. Uh, I wonder if you'd say a little bit more about folklore. Is folklore a way that uh, we can make some of those connections? It certainly is, and it's interesting because folklore, as a form of cultural expression, as my students, I'm sure, in these first two weeks of the semester are sick of hearing from me, um, folklore is really a, a very apt mirror on society. So, so it's one of those things where whatever it is we're feeling, the good, the bad, the ugly, the beautiful, gets reflected in our folklore. So it can, at times, be divisive where we see disagreements about masking, we see conspiracy theories about what the potential origins are, um, the political maybe, you know, usages that are behind either the pandemic itself or, or the different reactions to the pandemic. And we can see suspicion and distrust in so many places. But then we see the flip side of that and we really we see the reflection of the way that we support each other and the way that we help each other and and even just personal stories that circulate about people who've managed to help each other out or found new ways to connect and, and things like that. And I think that it the folklore that's out there right now is showing us sort of this very real and genuine, messy landscape of a lot of people trying their best to support each other and get the support they need for themselves. And Folklore is always doing that for us. We're always negotiating contemporary issues. You know, how do we make the past relevant to the present? These are things that are always happening in folklore, but an issue like this. And, and the layering of issues, the pandemic, the election year, all of these things happening on top of each other really make our need to express ourselves symbolically and metaphorically to each other, that much higher stakes. So we are engaged in a ton of symbolic communication right now. I had early on, I had um, my folklore students gathering internet memes that they could find about COVID. And it's funny now to look back on it because at least 90% of them were about toilet paper mm-hmm. and that the entire pandemic was a was, you know, the conspiracy theory that it was all being orchestrated by big TP, the people who want to sell more toilet paper in the world. And when I think back to that, it already feels so different 
than the shared cultural attitude of right now, which is much more in some ways grim, but much more determined and proactive, where the things that we're seeing now are, no, how can we help? What can we do? We, we see people making memes about the utility of masks. We see people uh, making, one of my favorites is um, the different ways that people share hand-washing advice um, or, or mask-wearing advice and things like this. So we're turning that creative effort toward illustrating for each other the best ways to stay safe. Yeah, that see that seems so long ago, doesn't it? The the, the toilet paper the, the runs on the on the supermarket. Yeah, it was like a whole different stage of the pandemic, the the toilet paper era. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that that is a hopeful sign that the memes are how do we help each other? That is very hopeful. Yeah, and I think that y- you can't really fake meme popularity. People try, absolutely. There are bots that attempt to skew statistics and things like that. But on the whole, the whole point of memes and and any kind of folklore is that everyday people are in charge of them. We're in charge of which ones are successful. We're in charge of which ones really resonate with people and therefore evolve and get perpetuated. And when we see those positive movements in memes, we can say that is a real and genuine reflection of what people are doing and caring about and thinking about. And that is a definite silver lining. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to go to another segment before we do. Um, we, we've talked about uh, you know folklore and, and and some other ways that we connect. Um, I, I wonder, Lynn, if you'd talk about how public radio and Utah public radio helps helps you connect to it uh, during this pandemic. You know, Tom, I was thinking about this this morning, and I think one of the things that amazes me most about Utah Public Radio is that its reach is so global. I mean, the BBC News Hour, all of this sort of international awareness, which is so necessary right now, because of course the pandemic isn't just happening here, it's happening everywhere. And if we don't learn from each other, we're doomed. But at the same time that UPR provides sort of this international perspective, it also feels so totally relevant to life in Utah. And I think it's that combination that makes it such an incredible source of information for me, is that I listen to Utah Public Radio. I feel informed about the world. I could go travel and be up to date and have insightful things to say, but I am deepened in my experience of my community here because of what I gained from Utah Public Radio. And I think that it's that combination of that broad reaching and then that incredibly microcosmic specific focus to our community here in the state of Utah that makes it such an important service for all of us. And here on Access Utah, we've been trying to uh, respond. Of course, we, we played a segment there from frontline workers. We've talked to the meatpacking uh, workers. We'll have that uh, in this episode. Uh, resilience, we talked about resilience. Uh, we've had several what we called COVID conversations with uh, state officials mm-hmm. uh, trying to get the latest information out. Um, we're looking forward to covering the elections as well. That's coming up. We'll have all of the debates from Utah Debate Commission, all of the all of the major uh, congressional and, and uh, statewide uh, offices. Uh, we'll have the three presidential debates and the vice presidential debate uh, on UPR, and we'll have, uh, of course, election night coverage and uh, we've been saying internally, uh, and, and uh, of course we all know this. It might be election week or election month. Let's uh, you know. Let's 
Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm crossing my heart as I say that and hoping it doesn't get too tumultuous. But anyway, we'll have it all here on Utah Public Radio, and your pledge right now supports all of this. Uh, you can take care of uh, your membership uh, a couple of ways, 800-826-1495, 800-826-1495. If you're listening in the morning, listening in the evening, uh, then definitely go online, upr.org. You can do that anytime, upr.org. And up to $500, and up until noon, your uh, your dollars are matched dollar for dollar by Leslie and Jay Black, who've generously offered to uh, to put up their, their money. Uh, well, then let's let's hear uh, next um, this this segment from um, and you well recall I know and uh, our listeners will well recall uh, a COVID outbreak at the at the meatpacking plants, not just JBS but several meatpacking plants in Cache Valley, mm-hmm. and uh, so this uh, program is from June and we reached out to a, uh, a worker at JBS meatpacking plant in Hiram. And we talked on that occasion with uh, the worker, with her husband, with her son, who was doing translating uh, for for everybody, and with her son-in-law. They didn't want their names uh, out, and so we just called them uh, mother, father, son, and and daughter-in-law. And so let's hear uh, just a, a segment from this. I hear that some in the community, uh, you know, so among the JBS workers, um, w- w- did have a hard time, uh, you know, qu- quite a hard time financially. And uh, so some of the community were trying to, uh, you know, trying to trying to help out. Did you, you heard heard about that, or I guess you you guys seem to be okay financially. Pues la comunidad de de nosotros nos vinieron a dejar comida. Um, the only we never she's, I'm assuming she's never heard any of JBS employers getting together and helping each other, but the best help we got was from Cash Valley Food Bank. As soon as uh, the, the, uh, we tested positive, or they tested positive, they called us. They asked how many were in our household, if we have any allergies, and so on. And within the day, they came back and they dropped the bus. They dropped us off a care package. I understand that uh, some JBS workers uh, staged a walkout. Uh, the, the protesting that they, they shouldn't, uh, they felt like maybe they were being rushed back to work or weren't weren't being treated uh, properly. Did you hear about that? Uh, she did see that on the news. She saw it on her phone that uh, uh, there was a walkout happening. Uh, and she supports the walkout. Uh, she wishes that she could be a part of it, but she was quarantined at the time of uh, the stage walkout. She she felt she feels that JBS didn't needed to be closed more than those two days. They needed to be at least ten to fifteen days closed for uh, everything to be straightened out. Uh, so, as she understands the reasons for the walkout, that that was it. That they, the 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 people that did the walkout felt that the plant should have been closed longer. It was that too, and to send out the message that JBS needed to take better precautions earlier on than uh, how they approached it later on. Porque no 
la gente que no sentía síntomas estaba infectada y seguía trabajando. And also because they wouldn't let the people that uh, were uh, high risk or that uh, were showing slight symptoms but not enough to send them home, they they were put, they, they didn't let them go home without uh, points or punishment per se. And every and they felt every one of the workers who did the walkout felt like they should have gone home whether uh, they were fearing for their safety or they were showing no symptoms or not. Um, they should not be held accountable for their uh, for not for not showing up to their shift. Of course, JBS uh, points out that uh, President Trump declared meatpacking industry uh, an essential service. And uh, the, they say because of that, they could not close. What, what, is, what does she think about that? Mal, porque no tiene que ser. Sí, es mal. Nos sentimos porque él dio la orden de que no se tenían que cerrar las factorías de carne. Entonces uno se sintió mal. Yo por lo menos me sentí mal porque, como quien dice, que no importa la... She felt like she was disposable that after those statements, that their health, that their well-being didn't matter. The profit came first, and long she was saying that it, it just felt terrible on her, and she felt disposable. So um, back to work now. What, do you feel? Do you feel safe? Do you feel like there are, you know, precautions in place to keep you safe? No, I stay well. She says no. Nothing's changed. No, uh, they've kept the same precautions that. They started uh, from uh, uh, from later on. There's no social distancing. The line is still uh, doesn't show any signs of uh, six feet apart or anything that the CDC recommends. It's it's just the same. So, anything that you'd like to say about this whole whole experience? Um, for my my understanding is. I felt really disappointed at Cache County Con- Council for uh, all of them moving on to making us a, a green, right, from yellow to green now. And even after a huge spike, and I think seven out of the eight councilmen voted to move to green. And to me, that was really disappointing. The only councilman who uh, voted no was or hiring representative who is who is around JBS the most, while everyone else voted uh, yes. And to me, that felt like they were kicking us while we're down. They didn't really care about our health. And as I, as I read on some articles that were posted, it was on the reason why they wanted to move to green was a lot of uh, economic reasons, mental health reasons, and so on. And But one of the comments I found it was really inappropriate where uh, – uh, Councilman Gina Worthern uh, said that um, it's only a 1% mortality rate. And to me, that felt disgusting because my uh, my dad could have passed away. I've had friends who have been put on ventilators who their parents have also been put on ventilators. And she it feels like she's mocking us, saying that, oh, you'll, it's a 1% mortality rate. You can just walk it off. Well, 1% is it's a really big number within itself. You shouldn't demean 1% as this small number is actually a big number. And those, those, are, my, those, those are my two cents. It's, it's horrible watching my dad and my mom recover from it. It was 
even more horrible seeing my wife uh, recover from it. Uh, I'm just lucky enough that it, w- it was a mild case for me. We're blessed to be surrounded by a lot of support from our family. We're financially well off to uh, be good during this time, but that's a privilege that a lot of people don't have. That's a uh, segment from uh, a conversation from, uh, this was uh, June, June 25th, uh, on the occasion of a COVID outbreak at several meatpacking plants in Cache Valley. We talked to a worker uh, at the JBS uh, plant in Hiram and her family. And uh, on that program, we also talked with Lizette Viegas, uh, who helped organize a protest event in Logan, and Randy Williams, who is vice president of the Cache Refugee and Immigrant uh, Connection. Uh, who helped to organize, along with many other uh, organizations uh, in the Valley, helped organize uh, food and help for uh, some of the uh, workers who were who were not doing very well. Um, and so that's just one of, uh, of the episodes where we uh, connected with, uh, with, with uh, current events and the things that are going on with regard to the pandemic here on Access Utah. Hope that that's worth supporting. And uh, you can you can do this by going online to upr.org, upr.org, whatever you can afford in your budget. That's what uh, we'll be happy with, uh, upr.org. You can see thank you gifts there as well. Or uh, if you uh, you can call 800-826-1495, 800-826-1495, unless uh, it's evening, in which case go to upr.org. So Lynn McNeil... We heard a couple of uh, of themes there in the segment that we that we heard there the the community uh, help and that's wonderful, and also the political divisions, uh, and and both are realities. And I wonder if uh, either are reflected in 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 the folklore that you're seeing. You know, Tom. Yes, they are. But I just want to say the whole time I was listening to that clip, I I I found myself thinking that this is why. Utah Public Radio is so unbelievably important right now because we are living in this time where we have cause to be so doubtful of the news we hear and the origins and sources of that news. And it makes it too easy to dismiss perspectives that distress us or that we don't like or anything like that. And there's certainly cause to to be worried about that. But public radio then comes in and gives us the voices of our neighbors and our community members right alongside international reporters and global news. And that perspective, I feel like, is the one that puts the humanity back in the information that we're hearing. And I really feel like that's invaluable. This isn't data. This isn't statistics. These are actual people. And when actual people who live in my community can say things like, I feel disposable to my government within my country, within my society, that's something that you can't ignore. That's something that you can't just, you know, sweep aside and say, hey, that doesn't happen here. That's not my lived experience. Here are our neighbors saying that is our lived experience. And the ability to hear the voices, not of imaginary or abstract strangers, but of the very people who live here in this community with us, and the fact that Utah Public Radio privileges those voices and gives them a platform for for broadcast and information, I think is, if anyone was like, "Mm, I'm still not sure I should donate to Utah Public Radio, it's like, well, this is why. Here is the exact reason why you should do that. 
And the place to do that is uh, you can go to our website, upr.org, upr.org, and uh, become a member for the first time, perhaps, or renew your membership. And, and thank you. Thank you so much. Well, thanks for that, Lynn. Um, let's go to a break, um, and then we'll uh, come back with a, a last uh, segment, Best of uh, Access Utah. We're going to hear from Vonda Jump Norman uh, from a program we did to talking about resilience. I'll even have her define resilience in this uh, segment, and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about this uh, following this break. Support for Year of the Woman on Utah Public Radio comes from Cache Valley Chamber of Commerce, offering current business information and answering questions about starting and owning a business in Cache Valley. Details at cachechamber.com. Utah State University's History Department presents the Voting Rights 1870, 1920, 1965, and 2020 Symposium web broadcast series, beginning Thursday, September 17th, with author of One Person, No Vote, Carol Anderson, Professor of African American Studies at Emory University. Registration for this virtual symposium found at history.usu.edu Voting Rights Symposium. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. We're doing Best of Access Utah. It's the fall member drive here at Utah Public Radio. And uh, we have with us for the hour Lynn McNeil, who is Assistant Professor of English and Co-Director of the Digital Folklore Project at USU. And we're hearing uh, some some best of, uh, specifically related to the to COVID and to the pandemic. Um, a reminder that Leslie and Jay Black have put up five hundred dollars. Thank you to them uh, to match your pledge dollar for dollar. So up until noon and up until five hundred dollars, your pledge is doubled. Today you can go to upr.org. Upr.org. Take care of that, and they hope you do that. You will upr.org. And if you already have, thank you uh, so much. Uh, so, uh, Lynn, let, let's jump right into this one. I'll make sure we get this in and then some final words uh, at the end. Uh, this is just a few minutes mm-hmm. from my conversation. Uh, when was this? From March. This was early on. This is part of UPR's Project Resilience, which is an ongoing project that started last year. Little did we know that it becomes so relevant, right, um, with, the, with the COVID outbreak. But uh, the Project Resilience, uh, we have segments and, and, and some tips and also some uh, episodes of Access Utah. You can find this all at upr.org. Uh, we talked at this point um, with, uh, among other guests, Vonda Jump Norman, USU Assistant Professor of Social Work, Director of the Trauma Resiliency Project at the Family Place in, in Logan. Let's hear this. Let me turn to uh, Vonda Jump Norman. Um, I want to talk about um, isolation. Uh, so for, for some families, it's everybody together, and that's causing stresses. For other individuals, perhaps including the elderly, um, it's 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 maybe you're isolated in place, and uh, th- that's got to have uh, deleterious effects. That can be really hard for a person, particularly if they're feeling isolated, and that's why reaching out, you know, for the person who feels isolated, being able to re- reach out to the people who are important in his or her life, and connecting. All of us, you know, one of our major needs is to connect with other people. And since we can't do that physically as much right now, being able to do it in other ways, like to do it virtually. And when we get into that moment where we feel self-isolated or we're feeling really alone, 
that's probably one of the hardest times to actually reach out. And like Kevin was saying, we begin to have these these messages to ourselves uh, that are just incorrect, but they're very powerful. And what we have to do is we have to cognitively break that cycle. We have to say, just like Kevin said, this is just a thought. This is what I'm feeling right now. And that's not true. We have to break that. There's some research on happiness that indicates that happiness is 50% genetic. You know, how happy we feel is about 50% genetic, 10% based on our circumstances, like being isolated and um, maybe not having the job we would like to have, and then 40% on intentional activities. And this is where the human brain is so powerful. What we choose to focus on is what we get. And so when we're feeling alone, we can magnify that so much. And what we have to do is be aware and stop that and and actually do things that will take away our isolation by reaching out to other people, by doing something nice for somebody, you know, just getting out of our own situation and doing service for somebody else increases our feelings of well-being and connectedness, I don't know, a hundred percent. So I wonder, early in the program, I had you define resilience. I wonder if you could define that again. Sure. That's our ability to to do well despite circumstances that are difficult. Mm-hmm. Now, is that something, um, you know, we certainly practice that <laughs> when something like this happens. Uh, do we need to be, have built up resilience before heading into something like this, or is something like this an opportunity to to become more resilient? Both are true, actually. You know, we build up resilience through our connections with other people, through relationships, and we, this situation is a great opportunity for resilience as well. And part of that depends on what we're focusing on. So if we can be thankful for the things that we have and the relationships that we have, we can, we can express gratitude on a daily basis and focus on the things that are positive in our lives, we can look at the strengths of our kids. You know, sometimes it's easy to focus on how loud they are, how, wow, they're just active all the time. If we can focus on the gifts that our kids have, and of course, each of our children have different gifts. That's Bonda Jump Norman, assistant professor uh, of uh, social work in uh, at USU. Um, a uh, that episode was part of Project Resilience, and uh, we talked about resilience on the program and connections and, and isolation. That's been a theme through this hour as well. And uh, our guest for the hour, Lynn McNeil, has had some uh, comments on that. So, Lynn McNeil, uh, yeah, I guess your 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 final appeal to fellow listeners: uh, why 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 should they give? Uh, they should give because of 
all of the reasons that Vonda just articulated so well, we are so lucky to have Vonda with us here at USU, that now is the time more than ever, and I think we've all had it driven home in a way that prior to 2020 we had never imagined. We need each other. We need connections with each other. We need the support of each other. Going back to what Miriam Bishop said, we are relying on each other in unprecedented ways right now, and we can stay connected with each other through Utah Public Radio. And this service that we provide, this giving a voice to our community as well as to the world at large, can't be underestimated. This is an essential service in our culture. As much as we have our essential workers, this is something that we need, and this is something that we need to support. Uh, and the play, place to support it is upr.org, upr.org, with your membership today, upr.org. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, and then we've had a now a pledge from Steve and Deborah McIntyre. Uh, just made a donation from Beaverdam, Arizona. And they say, we have a wealth of public radio station access, and our choice is UPR. So thanks to uh, Steve and Deborah McIntyre. Appreciate that very much. That's awesome. Uh, and uh, their dollars are matched this morning, uh, courtesy of the generosity of Leslie and Jay Black, uh, who are matching your pledges up to $500 this morning, um, yeah, up to $500. So your pledge is uh, is doubled uh, this morning, uh, including Lynn's uh, pledge. Thank you so much, Lynn, for, for your pledge. You are very welcome, and thank you for having me here to chat with you and help encourage other people to be invested in this amazing thing you guys do. I would just have about another couple of minutes left in the program. So um, mm. uh, briefly, what, uh, what are you up to, Lynn? What are you working on another book or what, what's happening? Oh my goodness. Well, my exciting personal news, if I'm allowed one, one tiny, you know, brag on Utah public radio, I did get tenure last spring. I'm now oh. an associate professor. Um, Wonderful. So now I get to take a tiny bit of a break <laughs> is okay. where I was going with that. So I actually have um, a new co-authored book that's coming out that um, has been in the works for years and is finally seeing um, publication, and it is a book on Utah food cultures, co-authored with Eric Eliason from BYU and Carol Edison, uh, formerly of the Utah State Folk Arts Council. Um, and it is titled, This is the Plate. This I is hope a plate. Everyone gets that. <laughs> Very good. Um, Wonderful. And it has a beautiful photograph of French fries and fry sauce on the cover. Of course. So, you got to. Yeah. Anywhere you find books, but it should be a good one. Okay. And that's coming out soon? Yes, I believe it is. Available now. If not now, oh. then very, very soon. You, you guys will come on Access Utah, won't you? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Any any opportunities to talk about fry sauce more, and I'm oh, not kidding yes. when I say that. This yeah, book has been yeah. probably the most fun thing that I've, I've gotten to work on in all of the years that I've been writing about folklore. Okay, wonderful. And I've upgraded you to associate professor in our materials anyway, so now it's official. So thank you. <laughs> Uh, thanks, now Lynn. Now it's real. Now it's now real. That you guys say it, it's real. <laughs> thanks, Lynn McDill. Appreciate it. <laughs> Thank you. And thanks for listening to Access Utah. Utah Public Radio is a statewide, member-supported service of Utah State University and the College of Humanities and Social Sciences, KUSR Logan, KUSK Vernal, KUSL Richfield, KUST Moab, KCEU Price, KUSU FM Logan.